This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading can be found in Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39, on page 55 of the New Testament. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts a new, new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thank you, Erica. Glad to be back with uh, everyone this morning to continue kind of a theme that I started uh, last week about how change is never easy, whether it's personal change or change for a congregation, it's never easy, but God always promises to walk with us and guide us each and every step of the way. Now, last week I outlined a kind of a simple principle that can help people kind of navigate times of change, and I used the example of a child on a swing set. To get the swing moving, the child has to do two opposite things at the same time. She has to lean back and kick forward all at the same time. You have to do both at the same time. You have to lean back and kick forward. It's not that you can do one without the other. You have to do both of those because it's those two opposite motions that actually work together to get the swing swinging. When we go through periods of change, we also need to lean back and kick forward. Lean back into our past, kind of remembering and celebrating, but also grieving sometimes the things that have been lost along the way. Last week I spoke about how the people of Israel spent 30 days grieving the death of Moses before they were ready to even explore what this new future might be with this new guy Joshua as their leader. Before the promised land, there was a time of real grieving. They kind of cleared the way. They had to lean back into the past, but then at the same time, kick forward into the future. Kick forward to look at how God will lead people into a new beginning. And that's the focus for today. Kick back into the past, but today we're going to, or lean back to the past, today we're going to kick forward into the future. And you just heard a story told by Jesus about what he wants to do with your life and my life and the lives with everyone who is willing to come to him with a heart of faith. Anyone who is looking for a new life from the Gospel of Luke. The passage that Erica read, it comes from the end of a series of three conflicts that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day who just did not see things the way Jesus did, who could not connect with God the way Jesus offered. He said, no one can tear a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will tear the new garment and the patch from the old will not match the new. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skin 
and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. He said, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Let's pray just for a second. Lord, would you just really, as we've sung and as we've prayed, would you send your Holy Spirit now upon us? Help us to have our ears open to hear everything that you might say to us this morning. And challenge us, Lord, to kick forward into the new beginning that you desire for us personally, but also for this congregation. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm willing to bet that even though you've heard of it, you've never actually read it. What I'm talking about is the epic Italian medieval masterpiece called the Divine Comedy. It's, a, it's the part of this massive poetic trilogy, the Divine Comedy, in which uh, the author chronicles this fictional journey through three levels of the afterlife, from the Inferno to Purgatorio to Paradiso, Hell, Purgatory, and Paradise. The Inferno, the first one, is the most well-known, particularly in pop culture, because Dante describes all the gruesome tortures of hell in great detail. And so the Inferno was frequently cited in movies and books about serial killers and deadly religious, religious cults and any kind of doomsday predictions about apocalyptic catastrophe. What people actually remember, though, is not so much the words of Dante, but the grotesque illustrations drawn by the Renaissance artist Botticelli that accompanied the book, which graphically depict all the many horrifying punishments of hell, which kind of came out of Roman Catholic mythology. The Divine Comedy is known as one of the greatest works of literature, but most people don't know the story behind it. Dante Alighieri wrote the poem between the years 1308 and 1320, during a very defining period of his life. Everything in his life was in a state of absolute chaos and meltdown and flux. He had been on the losing side of a failed revolution. He'd been banished from his beloved hometown of Florence. He could never go back there or he'd be instantly killed. And so he's kind of a refugee. He's surrounded by uncertainty. He's kind of, his life was just filled with doubt and fear. He became entangled in the web of papal politics and the power struggles in the Roman Catholic Church. He became so disgusted by all the backstabbing and the intrigue and the way that religion had become merged into one thing, just the very first words of this journey, uh, in the very first words of the Inferno. He said, in the middle of my journey of my mortal life, I came to my senses in a dark forest, for I had lost the straight path. And then with those words, he begins this imaginative journey where he explores all the regions of hell and purgatory and finally reaches to heaven, to God. I came to my senses in a dark forest. Dante sets out on a journey to a new beginning. He's on the right path, but he's not there yet. He's got to go through hell before he can get to paradise. What did Winston Churchill once say? If you're going through hell, keep going. Dante wasn't, was going through hell, but he didn't stay there. He kept moving forward. I've heard so many people, and maybe I've said this myself during this past year of COVID, uh, COVID quarantine. I feel like I'm in the movie Groundhog Day. Do you know that movie with Bill Murray? He plays the main character whose life just gets, keeps repeating itself every single day over and over again. He wakes up every morning, follows the exact same routine, repeats the same day over and over. And that's what this last 16, 15 months has really felt like for so many people. 
But guess what? You kept going. You kept going through this terrible period of disruption. You kept taking that next step because the only way out is through. The only way out is through. You're, you're getting ready for some new beginning. You don't know what it is yet, but it's coming. We're all kind of eager to discover what is this new normal going to finally be like for us. That's what makes this new COVID virus strain so discouraging. We thought we were on the edge of getting out of this, of putting all this behind us, and now there's a setback. And, you know, we all feel like there are these new mask mandates and other precautions perhaps looming in the weeks ahead. But we keep going because the only way out is through. I came to my senses in a dark forest. Those words describe some kind of personal awakening. Eyes open to discover a new life. Dante is telling his readers he's prepared to rearrange his life. It's been scary and cold and lonely. He's been lost in this dark forest. But up ahead, it looks like as though there's, there's a campfire. And he sees this campfire and he knows there's hope. He's going through major change. His old normal life is absolutely gone. He's endured a period of real desperation. But now... He's finally back on the right path. He's confident that the journey will lead to a new day dawning. By the, by the end of the Divine Comedy, when he finally reaches paradise, I believe Dante did experience something of the grace of God expressed through the Lord Jesus. I hope he did. I hope he really experienced the reality of what the Apostle Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old things have gone, everything is made new. Here's one essential truth about the gospel. Jesus brings a new normal. God is always a God of newness. God is always a God of fresh starts, of new beginnings. And as we read through the words of the gospel, you see that Jesus is always talking about a new kind of life, a new relationship with God the Father. A new perspective on your own life and your own self and how that relates to this God who created you, who loves you, and who has a purpose for your life. Jesus is an expert guide for the person who's stuck, who's off the path, who has lost their way. In a forest of confusion, in a quagmire of sin, in a bog of despair, that's where Jesus does his best work. When people have slogged through the swamp, that's when Jesus invites them to recover, to rest, to heal, to find new strength by the warmth of his campfire. When people come to their senses, that's when they're finally ready to sit by the light of what Jesus has to, be, has to offer and to experience the warmth of his grace, illumined by his love. People discover that what Jesus said about himself is always true. Revelation 21.5, behold, I make all things new. So how does that happen? How do we kick forward into a new life, the kind of life that Jesus is talking about? Now that we're trying to come out of this COVID-induced hibernation, what is this new life that Jesus wants us to experience? I've never had much experience either in making wine or using wineskins. But Jesus' words in Luke 5 kind of intrigue me. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. What Jesus meant by this is that he just used, you know, he always was so good at just using the common, ordinary things of life to illustrate deeper spiritual truth. Wineskins were just part of everyday life 
in ancient Israel. Wineskins were simply the common portable container for the everyday wine, which was the most common thing that people drank. Back then, they didn't have bottles. They didn't have cans. The only way people could contain wine were either in wooden kegs or vats or earthen jars, which were not very portable. Wineskins were made from animal hide or cheap bladders, things like that, goat skin. They were easy to carry. Just sew it up right and tight, and it makes a waterproof, leak-proof sack. Just sling it over your shoulder, and you're good to go. But the problem is, is if you carry the wine long enough, it starts to go bad, and it turns to vinegar. And the wineskin, as it ages, it loses its stretch, becomes brittle and stiff, and it starts to crack from the heat. So after a while, you can't refill an old wineskin anymore. You can't put new wine into it because the new wine is still in the process of, of fermentation, continues to create gas, continues to, uh, to expand after it has been poured into the wineskin. A new wineskin is pliable and will stretch, and so that problem gets solved. An old wineskin won't. So the pressure from the fermenting wine will burst the old wineskin and then everything just kind of spills onto your toga and you're in tr real trouble. Now, over the centuries, Bible commentators have looked at the meaning of the parable this way. The wine is always seen as the Holy Spirit. The wine is what God is up to, what the grace and the love of God wants to bring as the Spirit is poured into someone's heart, as the Holy Spirit works in the lives of an individual, and also how the Spirit gets poured into the church, people, and the institutions, the practices, the methods of the church, those are the wineskins that Jesus is talking about. Renewed people and a renewed church. Let's talk about individuals for a second. In Luke 5, Jesus is being hounded by his critics. The Pharisees and the scribes and the other religious leaders, all his critics were watching, analyzing his every word, his every action looking for any little slip-up, some way that they could accuse him of misconduct or even heresy, any reason that they could shut him down. They often tried to trip him up with trick questions, thinking they could kind of paint Jesus into a corner, get him to say something wrong. And as we know, Jesus was so skillful in turning those questions back on them in ways that would expose the shallowness of their faith. In this case, Jesus' critics are watching Jesus and they're asking uh, John's disciples, meaning John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray, but, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. They thought Jesus and his disciples, they were too happy. You know, they thought they should be more morose, more serious, do more acts of piety, impress people with their rituals. Jesus' first answer, he uses an illustration of a wedding. He says in the same chapter, verse 34, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they can fast in those days. Well, Jesus himself, he's the bridegroom. And while he was on earth with his disciples, it was entirely appropriate for them to feast and to celebrate just being with him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to speak of this new cloth, this new wine, Jesus knew where the real problem was. He knew that there was something behind the questions raised by the scribes and the Pharisees. They were upset because Jesus was not obeying their traditions. They were really asking the same question another critic asked in Matthew 15 too. 
Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They were stuck in the past. They were stuck in the old way of doing things. They were stuck in, the, in, in what used to happen. Their old normal way of approaching God, they just wanted to protect that and kind of put a fence around it. And Jesus was disrupting their way of approaching God. They thought they had a lock on the people, but the enormous crowds that were following Jesus sort of sent them into a tailspin. Their old way of controlling how people related to God, it was evaporating right before their eyes. So they're in panic mode because they can't let go of the past, and yet they can't embrace Jesus and this God of grace that he's talking about. So Jesus says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on the old. Otherwise, it'll be torn. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. The last statement is key. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Good old-fashioned legalistic Judaism was not going to be able to contain the new wine of Christ. The new wine of Jesus required change in the hard, crusty hearts of the Pharisees and really of anyone who wants to experience the authentic love of God. This should not have been a surprise to them. The Pharisees were the guys, they knew the Old Testament forwards and backwards. They knew that it taught of this same newness. This isn't a, a brand new idea that Jesus came up with. They had read all the passages about a, a new song, a new heart, a new spirit, a new name, a new covenant, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. All of that is in the Old Testament. Like King David when he wrote Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth. They understood God's newness only as a concept, not as a personal reality. They could not really embrace this idea that God was promising a new way of life they just couldn't see it for themselves. They could read verses like, like Isaiah 43, 19. God says, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? They could not draw a line to connect those passages from the Old Testament to the heart of Jesus. They couldn't wrap their heads around this new normal. It was actually the completion of all the things that they were trying to protect. All the things that they were trying to believe uh, that they're trying to protect and believe was, was right in front of them in Jesus. The very things they tried to protect through all their traditions. But they, the traditions became more important. The method became more important than the message. And so they were stuck in the past. The gospel was the completion of all the things that they were trying to protect through their legal, legalism. And so their hearts were closed to what God was doing. They were brittle. They could not contain the new wine of God's spirit. Jesus was saying to them, I believe he's saying it to me, he's saying it to all of us, don't be an old wineskin. Don't be an old wineskin. Now that has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with attitude. Age, not age, but attitude. If the COVID year has done anything, it has given all of us the opportunity to reevaluate where are we in life? And where do we want to go from here? And as we hopefully emerge from all of these quarantine restrictions and all the rest, we have the opportunity to reshape our lives in some new way. It gives us the opportunity to ask the Lord, what new thing do you want in my life?
It gives us the opportunity to be open to God doing something different. I can't tell you what that might be for you personally. Each of us has to go on our own journey of discovery. Each of us has to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you in the coming months. But this is the time to ask, is your heart open to that new thing? To, to, to position yourself to be a new wineskin. To have a mindset that's open to what the Holy Spirit is doing, ready to receive what God has in store for you. This new life will have many things in common with our lives of pre-2020. But it also gives us the opportunity to pray and ask God, Jesus, what do you want my new normal to be like? What kind of life should I have in the months and years ahead? We have the opportunity to say in the middle of my journey of my mortal life, I came to my senses in a dark forest for I had lost my straight path. Now, here are some ways that I heard from people in my previous uh, congregation kind of reevaluate their lives and what they wanted their new normal to be. That there are lifestyle changes. People told me they don't want to go back to the office. They don't want to go back to the old commute, spending an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes three hours a day commuting back and forth to an office in the city. They were not excited about that. They realized it was stealing so much of their time. The COVID year at home, working from home, gave them a chance to reevaluate their priorities. Having more time with family, having a different pace of life, they kind of liked that. The COVID year turned out to be a blessing in that regard. The rat race completely lost its appeal. They didn't need or even want that corner office anymore. They don't need that raise if it means sacrificing family and personal life. The new normal will incorporate a new way of looking at work and work-life balance. And many people are actually looking forward to that. There are also changes in how people see their faith. Many folks have found this season to be one of renewed closeness with God. As many things were stripped away, they found a greater importance in prayer. A new rhythm for prayer and Bible study and they don't want to lose that intimacy with God by going back to some of their old bad habits. Many folks experienced that dark forest and maybe even bottomed out this year. And then they discovered the truth of that old saying, you never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And they've latched onto that truth and they don't want to lose that sense of intimacy with God. So the pandemic turned out to be a blessing because it brought them into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And there are changes in the church, in the way we do discipleship. Last March, a year ago, 15, 16 months ago, our church is basically built, or my previous church was basically built around small groups. We weren't a church with small groups, we're a church of small groups. So we had 42 uh, small groups operating on a weekly basis and tried to encourage people to participate in one of those. Most of those groups from middle school to high school to adults to our senior saints, most of those groups had to transition to go online. Some didn't make it, but most of them did. And that was a brand new thing for all of us. Even not just the younger people or the older people, everybody was doing something new. But now a year later, many people have found greater connection through online Bible studies and prayer. And it's created new opportunities <coughs> excuse me, for discipleship. People who before the pandemic, 
you know, just simply for a variety of reasons, couldn't gather in person on a weeknight or a weekend because of children, because of health, because of transportation or other problems. They just couldn't get together with other people physically. Adding the online gatherings as an option was a lifesaver for them. Some people were separated by geography, couldn't gather with others. For them, online discipleship, it was like a new wineskin that really soothed their souls. So even as the church is now opening up and groups are starting to have more in-person small groups, there are still people who still want to gather online because it actually fits their life better. It actually works better for them than in-person discipleship. So online discipleship, that's a new wineskin. It's a new reality. It's a great blessing. It's not for everyone, but it is for someone. And churches that will embrace kind of online ministry are going to find greater opportunity to impact people for Christ. It's something that should continue as an ongoing tool for discipleship. And there are many other examples we could go into about the way in which this COVID year has forced us to become more creative in how to connect with people, forced us to embrace some new things. And so for all of us, the message today is don't be an old wineskin. When it comes to your personal life in Christ, when it comes to your relationship with him, remember it's not age, but attitude. Be open to a new work of Christ in your heart. Be open to how God wants to pour his new wine of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And as a church, you're entering into a new season as a church family. So much of the future is completely unknown, but you will have to work together You'll have to reflect together. You'll have to re-examine your basic mission as a congregation. You're going to need to look at how do you interact with each other as a fellowship, as a family. You're going to have to look at how do you interact with your surrounding community. You're going to have to come together and pray together about what God is calling you to do and to be. You're going to have to consider what ministries are going to need to continue, what ministries may need to stop, what new ministries may need to start. Now, all the research that I've seen about churches as they come out of the pandemic suggests suggests that every church, every church is going to have to reinvent itself. Every church in some ways is going to have to start over as we come out of the pandemic. Every church is going to have to find a new future because none of us can go back to the past. Every church will have to reinvent itself. It's going to have to re-engage with its own people. It's also going to have to re-engage with the community at large. So the timing for you to reevaluate your mission and, and what God might be calling you to do going forward, it's actually a good time for that. It's actually very good timing because you need to be able to do all those things as you begin to then think about searching for a new pastor. Some of you will be called to join a pastor nominating committee. And you'll solder the responsibility of searching for the person that God has anointed to be this church's new pastor. And those folks are going to need the support and the encouragement from everybody else because it's always a complicated job. And when the new pastor comes on board, he or she will guide this congregation into its next season of ministry. And don't be surprised if things are done somewhat differently. Some of the things you may have liked about the church, well, they went away during COVID and they may not be able to come back. Some new things will be added and you'll have the opportunity to embrace those too. So friends, as we lean back into the past, we also have to kick forward into the future. 
The important thing is to be ready for the new wine of Christ poured out through the Holy Spirit. Get excited about what God is doing. Be open to how the Holy Spirit might pour new wine into your life personally and into the life of this congregation. Be prepared to embrace the new. Right now you might feel like you're lost in a dark forest, but believe me, believe in the Lord and trust the guidance of his spirit. And he's going to lead you to be able to kick forward into God's good future. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough period for many people individually and especially for every church in the country has struggled over these last 16 months. It's been a struggle, Lord, because we've been forced to adapt and forced to change and there were things, decisions that were made far above our pay grade that we had to respond to. Decisions made by state legislatures and by governors and by school boards and by presidents and by uh, so many different kinds of people, Lord. And so we feel a little lost, a little at sea because of not just the change but the pace of change and how things change from one week to the next and we couldn't quite keep ahead of it. But Lord, as we begin to look at the future, we just trust that you're already there, that you know everything about what's going to happen. Nothing takes you by surprise. You're always the God who is previous. You're always the God who is ahead of us, Lord. And so we can trust you as we take our steps into our personal future and to the future of this congregation. May you continue to send your Holy Spirit as new wine upon our hearts, Lord, and upon this congregation. So it can continue to be not only a place where people gather, but a place that shines in witness to the goodness of a loving God. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.